Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. We have news for you all. Yeah, we are so excited to share that as so many of you have asked for us to host more than just one week-long immersive experience, we are bringing another retreat into the fold this year. And this time we're headed to Nosara, Costa Rica, June 3rd through 10th. Yeah. We heard you. We heard you. We're doing more. We're trying. (laughs) This time, though, we're actually bringing in two of our dear friends and colleagues to come along with us and join the party. So we're going to have Ashley Torrent and Millie Murillo there. Um, And honestly, the four of us together, I don't know, our powers combined, drawing from our collective work in the healing modalities of psychotherapy, coaching, mediumship, astrology, somatic movement, group processing, all the things. We'll be supporting you all in reclaiming every aspect of the most fulfilling life you can possibly live. It's going to be such a transformational week. I'm so excited already. And if you are interested in learning more, you can go to the link in either of our social bios or head over to Vanessa's website at vanessabennett.com. And we have payment plans available for this one as well. Yeah, definitely hit me up on email if you want to know more about that. We are super excited and we hope to see you all there. that are joining via podcast because we're going to record this for you all for the podcast. We're going to talk a little bit about concepts that ladder up to our favorite thing to talk about, self-abandonment, dependency, yeah. right? Showing up as our most authentic self in relationship. What does that look like? Mm-hmm. So to kick off this week's conversation around this, um, I posted a few 
questions, right? As did you, and got some responses like usual that didn't surprise me. <laughs> so, so one of the questions I actually posed this time this week was around, um, do you find it hard to speak up or communicate if you know it's going to upset the other person, rock the boat, create discomfort, right? And I got a resounding 76% of people said yes. Yeah. Which actually, well, it doesn't surprise me that actually is a really high number. So um, what are your thoughts on that? Today? Well, I was just thinking about something I feel like you say so often that I think our most intimate relationships are always our most vulnerable spaces. And like, I think most people who know you and you would agree would say that you are not like a bashful person about speaking your mind. You like don't really struggle with confrontation in like all elements of your life. But when it comes to relationships, I feel like you will often say, that is the one space that I might hold back a little. And I think that's true of so, I mean, it's certainly true of me as well, but I think I might do that more in other areas, but in relationships, it doesn't really matter like how we are in the world in general. I think relationships become that one vulnerable spot where it becomes really hard a lot of times to say the thing because we really want to maintain that attachment, right? Right. So as somebody who for sure has struggled with this most of my life, you know, at some point I was given the message that by taking up space, by being my fullest self, by communicating my thoughts, my needs, whatever that might be, my hurts, right? that I was going to inconvenience somebody or put somebody out or upset somebody in some way. And I was going to kind of feel the retaliation of that, right? And retaliation might be a big word. And I think for some people, it might really feel like retaliation. Mm -hmm. But I think even for a child, retaliation can feel like the sense that, let's say the caretaker has a hurt feeling and is pulling away. It could be the cold shoulder, right? That you get from a, a, a caretaker if you say something that upsets them or bothers them. It could be the, uh, whether direct or indirect, direct, being told like, you're too much, you're so dramatic, you're so emotional, go away, go to your room until you've calmed down, right? All of these different ways of that message being given to us, regard the message still, is still the same, right? Like we cannot, speak up and be honest without somehow being retaliated against in some way. And so we learn really early on that I can't do that. It's not safe. Right. Yeah. I think we talk a lot about the reasons that we speak to codependency in the context of like, we are all codependent in ways that we shouldn't be shaming ourselves for because it's so much of how we're socialized. Yeah. I think what you're speaking to is how much, the origin point often of our codependent tendencies are your emotions are big, mom and dad feel overwhelmed, go to your room and come back when you've gotten yourself together, which means basically you've suppressed the truth of how you're feeling and then you can get my love, right? And so it becomes a lot of our early conditioning is I get love when I suppress what's true for me. I get love when I stop saying the thing. And so we're conditioned really, really early to know later, but yeah, to know that it's not safe and that we will be um, turned away from or people will pull away from us or we won't be acceptable in the fullness of ourselves. And so that carries on into adulthood so often. Right. I mean, even when we think about like the messaging around like boys don't cry, right? right? 
or we think around the mess the messaging around um with again with using that word dramatic right like girls are you're being dramatic right you're over emotional right there's so many ways that it's not even gendered that both genders are taught that having an emotion is a bad thing right that like being emotional is a bad thing and so um because our deepest need as a human is to belong, right? I mean, we are kind of tribal creatures. Uh, we're gonna do whatever we feel like we need to do to make sure that belonging happens. And if that means turning off that, you know, mm -hmm. uh, authenticity drip, we will. So I say that to say, if that's something you struggle with, number one, know that you're not alone in that. Number two, know that it comes from somewhere, right? It's not just you. Um, you didn't just create this struggle in your mind. It, it is something that most of us adapt to from early on, right? But then, so I guess let's talk about the other side of that, which is kind of the movement through, right? The, the ability or the process to learn how to do the thing, how to speak up and say the thing, no matter the consequence. <laughs> it's, it's a really easy process. You easy. just do it. <laughs> Super easy. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that that is the work of learning to, as I like to say, stay with ourselves, yep. right? Um, to notice the feelings, the overwhelm, the fear, the flooding that comes up when I think about saying the thing, notice the narrative. Um, and when I say narrative, I mean the stories that I'm telling myself about what will happen, the stories I'm telling myself, like the harsh inner critic, the ways that I'm talking to myself about saying the thing. And how do I practice? And it is a practice because none of us are at a point of arrival with anything ever. But how do I practice having a different conversation with myself, talking to myself about what else could be true? I love to like literally say to myself in those moments that I like start to say the thing and I am afraid of someone pulling away from me. I love to say, well, you know what, Danae, like I'm still here. Like I literally <laughs> talk to my little girl that way. And I say, I'm still here with you regardless. Right. Um, and it, it can feel silly, but I have found there's something on a nervous system level that just is sort of like soothing to our inner child when we have a conversation and really validate like, yeah, this is scary. This person could pull away from me. This person might reject me or be angry with me. And I'm going to be here with you no matter what. So let's say the thing and the chips will fall. And I think um, it's that thing of like, we model bravery. We model that we can do this when we do this. And then that other person starts to feel a little bit of safety in your energy. Because when we're both like activated on a nervous system level and we're just sort of defending against the defenses, it's like almost, you know what I heard um, Connor Beaton say something once that I thought was so smart. He was saying like, make your goal to outregulate the other person. Like basically like I'm setting the baseline with my nervous system. So I'm going to do all of this self-regulating work and what we end up doing because we are all connected and because we do have the ability, you know, all this conversation around co-regulation. Yes, we can do this, but each person has to take responsibility for what they can control, which is themselves. And so if I say, I'm going to outregulate everybody in the room with the way that I bring myself back to myself and really talk kindly to myself through what comes to the surface, then I think it shifts the energy of um, what's happening between us and both of us feel a little bit safe. Yeah, I like that. I, um, you know, a personal anecdote, I was thinking last night, actually, this came up for me, um, where I could sense that I could sense that my partner was like upset, 
bed or in a weird place, right? And for those of you listening, I'm sure you're like me. It's like you can sense it immediately, right? Like we're those people where it's like the spidey senses are going off. Yeah. And um, my go-to, so if we're talking about speaking up, I would say the opposite side of this coin is the person who does the, well, I'm the same, it's the same person. Like I am the same person. I struggle with both, but the opposite side of this behavioral coin would be the like, are you okay? Are you okay? Is everything okay? Like, what can I do to make it better? Right. Uh, and so I would usually do that. And I remember actually just last night, I, I, in my head, I thought to myself, it's okay. If he's in a bad mood, it's okay. If he's upset, it's okay. Like who, who, what, who is telling you that it's not okay. Where are you getting the internal message that you have to fix it or that he needs to be okay all the time. Right. And I actually walked through this in my mind last night and I was able to go to bed without getting into the like, are you okay? Are you okay? But not only did I not slip into the, are you okay? I didn't slip into the, um, now I'm annoyed or resentful because I feel like I have to take care of you. Right. I actually took myself out of both of those potential kind of pitfalls by really just catching the emotion, catching the thoughts and being like, yeah, but who says why, who is telling you that you have to fix this, that he's not allowed to be not okay. And, that might sound silly or like elementary, but damn, like we still have to continue to show up in the moments and do this work, even after we've been doing this shit for 15 years, you know? I love that you said that. And I think something that I haven't articulated a lot, but I have very much found to be true in my own work and in my own healing, so much of our work is to allow ourselves to like practice sitting in the discomfort of someone conceivably being mad at me. Ooh someone like rejecting me or someone being pissed off and not fixing it. And like, I can own my hundred percent. I can say, Oof, you know what? Like, and you know, I, I have people in my life who very much like, I'm the very, like, let's, let's squash this. It's not that serious. Like, let's just make it better. Like that's a little my amount. But what I find so often with couples is it's very yin yang. Like one person is the person who wants to quickly make it better. The other person needs some time to process. Right. And we always find each other. So the person that like quickly wants to make it better will just like cower and feel shame and like ick and all of this stuff to like fix it. And what I, found is very similar to what you're saying. What I talk to couples a lot about is that thing of like, what if you stayed with yourself through what yeah. the surface? Like, yes, you can own your hundred percent and say like, Oh, you know what? What I just said wasn't cool. I apologize. And then that person who like wants to be in the grudge wants to be like, needs time. Like, I don't even want to like make that wrong, but they like need some more time to process and come back to you. That's fine. But can I stay with myself and not be in the like, I need to fix it. And like, yeah, that person's pissed off at me and they can be that right now. And I can stay with me and it's okay. I don't need to fix it. Big. Yeah. Right. Big breath. Yeah. 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 And I think also another really important point for all of us to remember is, and I know for me, this is really helpful to remind myself, Mm -hmm. why am I trying, like, what is the, I always say, what is the motivation for the behavior, right? Like be really honest with yourself, like look at yourself in the mirror in a way, be honest with yourself in a way that nobody else is going to be honest with you about, right? What is the motivation for the behavior? So in this instance, my motivation for wanting to fix it wasn't actually, or isn't usually actually about making him feel better. It's about making me feel better. I'm uncomfortable that there's something in the air. I'm uncomfortable that he's uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable that, th- that things aren't okay. Right. And so I need to make it better 
so that I feel comfortable. And I think it's really important to continue to verbalize that motivation because um, it really actually helps me when I remind myself of that to be like, okay, right, this isn't about you. So stop. He's allowed to be in this place. You know, maybe this bad mood is good for him. Like maybe he's working through something and by me swooping in, I would actually disrupt that process, right? Like who am I to say that he needs to be okay and that we need to be okay all the time, right? So I think a lot of times in this instance, um, yeah, like continuing to, to question your motivation for why you want to do the thing, why you want to jump in and do kind of the codependent behavior really um, is, is usually for me at least a really good way to kind of like hold myself accountable. Yeah. You know, I think what's underneath the desire I find quite often, certainly with myself and like, but what I'm watching a lot of times is like, there's a shame in the like, you know, the conditioned limiting belief or false belief that I have to be perfect in order to be right. worthy of people's love. And I think something that you often say that was such a like moment for me was that thing of like, I can do bad things and that doesn't mean that I am fundamentally bad, right? But in those moments that that person pulls away from me, my inner child is activated in the like, if I've done something to make someone angry, that must mean I'm a bad person and I'm not worthy of love, which can I stay with myself through it and question that and challenge the validity of that statement, you know? Totally. Yeah. So that was a big one. Um, I guess we can move on. So question number two that we posted was, well, it was a larger one. It was really around like, am I able to show up authentically in relationships? But the part two to the question was really like, do I even know what that means? Right. Mm -hmm. And I think I get similar questions a lot from people, whether it's through DM or whether it's clients that I'm working with, where the question is always around identity. Right. So I always say that codependency recovery is synonymous with identity work, right? Like they go hand in hand. We have to be able to build this and establish this sense of self if we hope to move through these self-abandoning um, behaviors, right? These patterns that we have. And so what does that mean? Being my authentic self, right? I would say that it's not some big concept that we have to be able to be like, I am this and my authentic version of myself looks like this and sounds like this. I think, again, it goes back to those micro moments, right? So using that example of me last night, my authentic, my highest, the highest version of myself is somebody who's got me emotionally. I can sit with myself through my own discomfort. I can allow somebody else their own discomfort. And through doing that, we become stronger individually, but we also become stronger as a partnership, right? Whether that's romantic, friend, family, whatever, that is the most authentic version of me because me showing up and fixing and people pleasing and doing all those behaviors, that's not authenticity. That's out of fear, right? That's not out of love, like you always say. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, what you said. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, to me, it becomes who is the version of myself I would be if I weren't off if I weren't afraid, right? Like if I weren't afraid that this person would turn away from me, if I weren't afraid that I wouldn't fit in with the group, if I weren't, you know, looking to some external source of truth to tell me who I need to be, who would I be then, right? And I think that's a moment to moment, breath to breath, checking in and 
we won't get it done. And it's never like, I don't think we, again, like we always talk about, there's no point of arrival with so much of this stuff. I think it's certainly like a muscle that we can build and we can show up more authentically more often. But I think, you know, we will fall into patterns as long as we're breathing where it's like, ooh, I feel myself want to tap dance for belonging. I feel myself like start to like, ooh, do they like me? And um, can I take, take a deep breath and notice that that's what I'm doing? And how would I show up in this moment if I weren't afraid, right? Like, how can I challenge the fear? But yeah, I mean, that, it's a very, like we always talk about, we are in that duality of like needing attachment, but also needing authenticity. And it isn't a problem that we solve. It's a dichotomy that we learn to manage throughout our lives. Like it's, it's going to be there. But I think that's the work is to continuously notice when we start to be in that space of acting from fear and bringing it back and be like, okay. And so what would love do in this moment? What would love say about this? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And also, I think that um, remembering that just because in one situation, or one relationship you you're able to do like what I did last night, which was like show up and be like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to stay with myself and I'm going to do the thing that I know like my highest self would do. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't mean the next time I will. And that's okay. That doesn't mean that I've gone backwards. That doesn't mean that I somehow am, you know, less authentic than I was a day ago. It just means to your point that if this is a day by day, breath by breath process. Um, and it's, it's a lifelong process, right? Absolutely. And I will say, though, when we do the thing like you described doing last night, we build trust in ourselves by staying with ourselves, by keeping the that we make ourselves and by doing things that make us respect who we are. So in that moment, I taught myself on a nervous system level, I'm okay when I don't fix the thing. I'm okay when I stay with myself. That is a little bit of the muscle memory that we're talking about. The more I do that, the more I become capable of doing that. And so, yes, it will, like the fear will come, but then it becomes like we're able to slay the dragon. Like I'm able to stay with myself through the fear. Whereas a lot of times, like, you know, we would have given into the fear before, but then it's like, we have these moments and then you wake up and you're like, I'm proud of myself for the way I handled that last night, you know? Yeah. So this is somebody actually submitted a question through the live. And I think this is a good kind of segue or it's part of the same conversation, but they said, I find the challenge to be knowing when to act and when to sit with the discomfort or sit with myself. Ah. I mean, it always comes back to fear and love, right? Um, I like to talk, it's so funny because I talk a lot about masculine, feminine energetics. And so that's like the linear circular versions of ourselves, the like feeling versus the, the knowledge, like moving and, you know, action. And so it's, we'll always be in the feminine space first, whether it's from a wounded space or a healthy space. And the feminine space is the feeling that comes up. So if we're in the space of like our wounded feminine energy, that will be the insecure. That will be the clinging. That will be the like, I'm not enough. This person can't love me. All of that, like the fear um, feelings, right? And so that will be, I will move into action from a wounded masculine space of control, of competition, of, um, you know, like narcissistic, like, like uh, there's not enough lack mentality, those actions, right? 
Now, if I'm in that like healthy space of what I'm feeling, if I believe that I'm connected to something bigger than myself, like some source, um, if I believe that there is like abundance and that we can collaborate and that there's enough for everybody, if those are like the feeling spaces that I'm tapping into, then I will move from the space of inspired action. And that's my healthy masculine energy within me, which is like, I got me, I'm my own container. I know that I can like do hard things and prove to myself that I'm still here. So it becomes, am I moving from the space of my wounds or am I moving from the space of trusting myself? And again, it's like, I gotta check in. Is it a fear thought or is it a love thought? And normally if I'm moving from the space of what I'm afraid of, that's the space of my wounds. Like, I don't think most babies like, well, they have annihilation anxiety, so they're afraid of like no one like, you know, taking them in a swaddle and taking care of them, but they're not like, oh, what if I'm judged for this onesie that I'm wearing? That's not like right. space that babies normally embody. So a lot of those fear spaces are our conditioned responses. Those are like the way we always talk about the shadow, right? So those are the things that we accumulate throughout a lifetime. Those are our wounded spaces. And you can tell that you're acting from your wounded space when there's a fear that is driving the action. But when I'm in my most authentic self, as we were talking about, then that's in the space of like love for myself. And if I'm moving from the space of loving myself well, then I believe that's inspired action. Sort of a long run. <laughs> but. Yeah, no, I mean, I think too, like just to add on that, I think it comes down to, so to your point, like really, again, motivation, right? What's the motivation? So is the motivation coming from fear or is it coming from love, right? I think that's a really good question to ask yourself. A lot of times with clients, I'll do the thing where we say, play out the tape, right? Play out both, both directions. So if I don't know when is right to speak up, right? Or when it's right to kind of sit with myself and sit with the discomfort, play out what would happen if you did both, right? So if I say the thing, okay, then what would happen? Okay, well, they might get upset. Okay, then what would happen? Uh, then I'll be uncomfortable with them being upset. Okay, then what would happen, right? And just keep going and going and going and then do it down the opposite path. So I don't speak up. Okay, well, then I'm going to feel resentful. Okay, then what would happen, right? And play out that direction. Like, what's the potential for that? So that's another really good exercise sometimes, especially in the beginning of this work when you truly don't know, like, well, what is love and what is fear or you truly don't know like so what is my authentic self actually really want or need right because in the very beginning of doing this work you might not know and that's okay um so doing some of those exercises can be helpful i think another exercise that i have found to be really helpful is remembering that you don't have to decide right away so i am one of those people that actually needs more time to process i've always been like that right i get very exactly what we're talking about. This is me. I get in my head. I get overwhelmed. What should I do? Should I speak up? Is this feeling valid? Is it not valid? Am I allowed to say this? Am I not allowed to say this? Like I get into all of those head spaces. And so I have really learned to not act right away, not speak right away, not in essence of like sweeping it under the rug, but in the essence of I need to sit with myself in stillness for a little while and sort through all of these conflicting thoughts and messages and emotions that are going on, maybe do a little bit of writing before I'm able to say, this is fear or this is love or what's the worst thing that could happen and play out the play out the tape. Right. Um, and I think it's really important that we understand that people have different ways of processing. I see this so often, and I'm sure you do too, working with couples and even in my own relationship that we have such an expectation that our partner or even our friends or even our parents or our family, that they look at and process the world the same way we do, right? And so 
especially like we can layer on attachment styles. My partner tends to be a little bit more anxious. He wants to talk about things right away. That's not how I process things. If he brings something to me and I need a beat, I need to kind of walk away with it and sit with it and give myself a little bit of time so that I know like, again, what is my voice saying versus like, what is the fear saying, right? What is that self-protective version of me saying versus like, what is my authentic version saying? And for him, that can feel like a couple of things. One, it feels like maybe I'm not participating in the relationship with him. So he feels like abandoned or like I'm not in it with him, right? Like if I were really in it with him, I would want to roll up my sleeves and get into it right away. Not true. That's his fear talking, right? Now, it is important for me to say, I need a beat. I need a minute. I'll come back in an hour. I'll come back this evening, whatever that thing is. But we really need to pay attention to how often we expect other people to think, feel, do, act, speak the way we do and how detrimental that can be just in general to our relationships. Oh, I think that's some of the comments. Yeah, um, I, I completely wholeheartedly agree with you on the power of the pause. I love to say, when I don't know what to do, do nothing. That's normally your yeah. answer is like, totally. there's no rush. A lot of times we are such a productivity obsessed culture that it's like whatever needs to be done that needs to be done now. I think it's the opposite. I think that anything that is like, the right answer does not need to be done immediately. The only thing I want to circle back to, because I think what sometimes I hear clients doing, and I don't want there to be any misunderstanding about what I hear and what you're saying, playing the tape through is about like what I would do and not controlling other people. Because so often I feel like we get in the scripts in our head of like what another person can, can or should say or will say. And that can be another way that I feel like we get in that stagnant space of not trusting ourselves. But if they say this, I'll say like, and the point is when Vanessa is saying like, play the tape through, that's like what I will do no matter what, like right. the other person and their response is not relevant to what I will do to stay with myself. It's like, that's an anxiety tool that Vanessa is speaking to like what I will do no matter what another person does, because we can't actually control the script of how things are going to play out in an interaction between two people, but that becomes another thing that our anxiety wants to trick us into doing, right? They're going to say this and then I'm going to say, no, no, <laughs> but I will go through like what I will do to take care of myself regardless of what the other person says. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. It's like understanding the, the point of that exercise is to essentially challenge the ego, challenge the fear voice, right? That's trying to tell you to do or not do something based on fear. So what you're doing is you're questioning that voice like, okay, so they stop talking to you. Then what will happen? Like, then what will you do? Right? Okay. Then that, so then what will you do? It's more about you use it as an exercise to challenge that fear-based voice in order to maybe back your way into what the voice of love might do or say, right? Um, because sometimes, well, not sometimes, always our ego, our fear voice is louder because it's there for self-protection, right? Like, as a species, we're here for a reason. We have really good, many, many really good processes that keep us safe, right, and protected. Unfortunately, they run rampant sometimes and don't usually go hand in hand with us being the highest version of ourselves. So sometimes we have to challenge them. And I think that, um, you know, that technique is a way to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. So if y'all are listening, we just want to let you know. Um, so as of today, we have one double room left for Costa Rica retreat. 
the first week of June. So if y'all are interested, last chance. We got one more room left. There's only two beds left. That's it. It's sold out. It's only in a few weeks. Get on it. It's going to be super amazing. Just filled to the brim. Not only of these kind of conversations, but you know, we're bringing on our colleagues, uh, Millie and Ashley. We're going to have a little bit of astrology. We're going to have some intuitive, uh, therapeutic, you know, techniques and tools. I mean, it's going to be a magical week. So uh, definitely check the link in our bio um, for that. And then also, if y'all didn't see it, today and I just launched our private online community. So if you feel like you just cannot swing the retreat, we get it. We hear you. We're trying to make it as absolutely cost-effective as possible. Um, we're going to have weekly process groups. Both today and I are leading them. We're going to have two live workshops a month. Um, Danae and I will lead one and then we're going to have a guest speaker. So our first one's on Friday with Amani in touch. And you can look at that in my bio link as well. Um, what am I missing? Anything? We have so many good things coming up and ways to connect and ways to do this work and have these conversations and, yeah. you know, it's called the cheaper than therapy community. I feel like someone, um, was asking, but you know, I think with the podcast that we've been doing, God, has the podcast been going for like three years now? Almost. Yeah. I was like, whoa. Um, and I think we have had such an incredible opportunity to bring people on the podcast that we've been so inspired by their voices, their work, the way they're showing up in the world. And so we wanted people to have more opportunities, not only to work with us in an accessible way, but also so many of the people that we're really inspired by. And so the Cheaper Than Therapy community becomes an opportunity to like, actually, like if you've listened to a podcast and you've really loved someone's perspective, um, Imani is someone who's been on our podcast. She's going to be in there this Friday. Um, next month, we have Jeremiah Latimo coming in, who's someone that we just really love his perspectives and his work. So we want you guys to have an opportunity to actually get in there yeah. and do some of this work with the people that we just think are so brilliant in the way they're showing up, right? Yep. And those workshops are going to be recorded for people who can't make them live. So whether you sign up as like a drop-in and you're not part of the community or whether you're in the community, they're going to be available for you to watch. So if for some reason, like time zone, you know, issues or stuff like that, just know you'll have access to those after the fact. So either way, this year, there's lots of ways to work with you and I, and it's just kind of a more um, a deeper kind of more integrated way. And we're going to keep bringing things to y'all. Cause we just want to, we want to engage more. We want to get off the socials and actually engage in a real way with community. You know, we know how important it is. And so we're trying, we're trying to bring it all to you. So we hope to see you on the other side. Thanks for joining us for this episode of cheaper than therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us more, find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com